Welcome to Marsha's Plate. This is an interview episode where we talk to friends, family, other community members, and anybody else we want to talk to. <laughs> hey brother, hey brother, hey sister, hey sister, hey sibling, how are you? Hey brother, hey brother, hey sister, hey sister. Hey, what's up? This is your girl, Diamond. So I have a special treat for y'all. I'm excited about this conversation because, you know, we live in Houston and we have great because we see each other, um, especially when something is up and some bullshit is afoot. <laughs> we have these type of great conversations and I wanted to kind of share it with my audience. So I wanted to bring a friend, Emmett Schilling. Did I say your last name right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, Emmett Schilling on here to talk about, you know, the trans ban and, you know, maybe get into some conversations about um, the Asian and African-American connection, you know, throughout movement, throughout history, throughout, you know, our, in our city, all this kind of stuff. I really want to kind of just delve into that because this is stuff that we talk about when we are together, when we are hanging out, when we are out stuffing our face with some delicious meals and food. <laughs> so, um, yes, I just, I'm so glad that you are here. So thank you for joining me, Emmett. Thanks for having me. I, I was uh, so excited to be on. I was like, oh, like I can I can quit my career at this point because <laughs> I just I reach I reach the point now. You know, I I get to just come on and uh, you know have a great conversation with you. All that's missing is the food, <laughs> but See, you know I, <laughs> that'll come later. We'll, we'll yeah. Yep. <laughs> so recently, so let's start off the stuff you know, as far as like the trans band stuff, let's start off with that because, you know, we recently had some good news that in Arkansas, the governor has vetoed the ban of trans healthcare, which was a great news because, you know, even though I feel like it's almost performative because they still can still kind of pass it, the, assembly, the state assembly could still, you know, because they have a really weak, you know, executive government, they actually can actually still lightly majority vote it and make it law. But it is, you know, good that because the language that um, Asa Hutchinson used was kind of powerful, surprisingly powerful when we talk about um, trans ban, trans banning and how, you know, he said this is an overreach of the government. This this is mm -hmm. this this treks in um, new territory and how we when we talk about client and physicians relationship like we are we are overstepping our boundaries and it goes a little too far for me and I think that was a powerful statement. So tell me about your experience here in Texas as far as Yo. these trans bands is going on. Yeah, unfortunately, you know what we see uh, first is I think there's just uh, and this is the same thing as what we've always known right is there's a deep m misunderstanding of who trans people are 
and what transition looks like and understanding that transition doesn't look like uh, one size fits all. And it's the same thing when we're talking about really like now we're centered on kids, right? What does it look like uh, for a parent who's like literally trying to save their kid's life? That's based on facts, it's based on data, it's based on science, it's based on uh, overall uh, medical like best practices for trans kids, for the care of trans kids. So at the and end practices of the day, that are not new or experimental, things that's been around, even there, these techniques have been, when we talk about um, like blockers and, you know, stuff like that, these techniques has been used on children who even that are even not trans <laughs> to, to kind of slow down puberty in regards to that. They have been going on for years. This is not new. This is not experimental. This is something that's been happening. Yeah, and there's, you know, time like overwhelming evidence to show they're not harmful. And that's really what it comes down to is like understanding blockers are a stall. It's like a pause and then it's what what does this look like when a child who, you know, let's also talk about what what do we consider, right, of um the ability to know and and vocalize and give legal, uh, you know, weight to where kids are, and like knowing the the relationship between a parent, a physician, and a child, or a caregiver, child, and parent, right, is is been historically always protected by HIPAA above and beyond. And so, you know, you have the irony of, again, you see a party that's like voraciously saying like, we hate like, you know, big government, like literally trying to get in people's pants. And in the literal sense of the word, trying to get into kids' pants, like let's call it what it is because this is what it is. I think like the other like thing, I, I agree his statement was powerful. I think it states emphatically where we're at, right? What does this look like? Uh, come on, you can't tell me that Arkansas doesn't have bigger problems to like tackle. Hmm? How about education? Because <laughs> the numbers is kind of low nationally. <laughs> I mean, at Mississippi, right? The like state that like passed like these, like another anti-trans, like, you know, ban uh essentially in sports right but like talking about that is looking at shit like why why are we all of a sudden like trying to like get all up in people's like medical stuff but where i also come back to right and talk about it is like we've been talking about this with like reproductive justice with like intersex kids who like have like literal cosmetic surgery on them before like they have like the ability to consent and it's not necessary so you want to talk about unnecessary operations on kids let's start talking about intersex kids let's let intersex people talk about like what that's been like because if you care about this particular issue you're on the wrong population right now you need to be talking to intersex people and like their experiences of non-consensual cosmetic surgery for the sake of normal right genitalia which like because this what, what people i know we're focused on like um 
healthcare and and um and you know sports and stuff but mm -hmm. this is a part of this bill that there is language in this bill that affects intersex kids so this yep. is quite important what you're saying absolutely they should yeah. be a part of the conversation as well yeah and it's just it, it to me is you know again you you look at like the historical dot you know where we're at where reproductive justice is simply you know this fight for upholding what was already set like what was already like in the highest court of our land was supposed to be settled and like you have like the same people arguing to like essentially like take the decisions of medical care from legal guardians parents and people who should be able to call their own shots when it comes to our bodies like that should be like the lowest threshold you care about freedom okay bro like let's talk about freedom because the freedom of your body is like paramount i think to like what freedom looks like what what all has that entailed right for the history of forever in like a fight for freedom right and it, it's it doesn't all the rest of the freedom start there like freedom of speech i gotta control my voice to to use it mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. that is, and the way our bodies have been commodified right in in this uh country so like it, it just is i think another uh you know this is bathroom mill just in a different like framing it's the same thing it's the same idea that we should be able and and again and again what we see right is we're targeting trans kids like it's it's that they know like kids are like on this you know this very like unique um point where it's up to parents right if they're going to be supportive of their kids or unfortunately where we see like because all the statistics people want to gather right are about how depressed we are and so of course they have a robust like amount of like statistics but we also know like that of course when you're rejected from your family from society simply for being who you are yeah you're probably going to be a little fucking depressed right absolutely <laughs> it, that's what's going to happen just, and now we finally are at a point where we have more visibility we have more mm -hmm. community we have more access to that community and resources yep. and and you know, just education around our being. So of course there's going to be an uptick in parents that say, oh, I am going to support my child. Of course we, we, and we got, you know, even big figures when we talk about Dwayne Wade, when we talk about, um, all the, 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 the celebrities that have, that have trans children that are saying, Hey, I'm going to support my child in regards to, you know, in, in regards to, um, uh, on such a public sphere, we're going to see other parents, layman parents saying, yes, I'm going to support my child too. How can I do this? And so this is the, this is the new frontier. It's like, okay, we couldn't do the bathroom. So now let's go after this. And they need something yep. to rally, rile up their base because they don't have Trump on the screen all the time. And <laughs> now in that, yep. that we had to endure in the past four years, they actually need something that's going to rally their base. And this anti-trans sentiment is something that they can use as a dog whistle to rally their base. Like this is the fight. But also I think yeah. it's important to note that there is this narrative around 
surgeries and permanency of surgeries, which is actually a false narrative. So in 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 our in most of our states, you cannot get these surgeries until you're like 18. This is not yep. children who are 12 during this during their blocker stage or um, the stalling of the puberty uh, or during um, anything that their parents can support in in their younger years. It's not surgery. You can't get surgery that young. There no, nobody is getting a sex change at 12. Y'all love to be in people's genitalia's business, but that's just not what that's not what's happening. <laughs> Kids are not getting surgeries. Kids are only thing that they can possibly get, but this is not necessarily. Trans men can possibly get top surgery. But other than that, there is no surgery. They can't get hysterectomies. They can't get, you know, these things that are permanent that young. So the narrative that we are protecting children from making the mistake of their lives is so permanent. That is a false narrative. Don't listen to dusty ass, ashy, little bootsy and all these people who are telling you this lie. <laughs> that is not true. Children are not doing these things. Their parents are supporting their transition until they get of legal age and can make the consent and informed decision themselves as adults. Shay, I can't even get a histo. Like, I'm too <laughs> young. Wait, and let me tell you. That's what the TT is that this shit ain't even easy to get for regular, regular adults. <laughs> Thank you, because God forbid you take away my baby maker parts and like I have no purpose in this world anymore. <laughs> like, what do I do? Like, come on. And like, it's not me saying like, I absolutely think like trans mass, trans men, like you want to have baby. Like, I support that. Like, I, you know, I'm all about it. Like, let's like fucking bodies that can give birth all in support. Me personally, I have had that magical experience and I am trying to get rid of this <laughs> and like I like can't find a doctor who's like yeah because like I'm too young and I'm like no look into my eyes they're dead I am not too young <laughs> I've seen things man Oh my God, I want to thank all of our new patrons this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yay, 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 yay. So not only are you helping to sustain this particular podcast, you know, I also donate to other podcasts. I donate to other organizations. I have my finger on the post of the community and i know a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing great work out here so you're not only helping to sustain us you're helping to sustain other people in a community because i put my money where my mouth is you know that's just the kind of bitch i am community is fuck <laughs> so thank you i really really appreciate you and if you have not become a patron why have you not? You can donate as low as a dollar a month. It doesn't matter. Anything helps. Please. Do I have to play Sarah McLaughlin and show you puppies? Like, what do I have to do? Do I have to do resort to what the white people do to get you to give them money? <laughs> All righty. Anyway, thank y'all. And the Patreon and PayPal link is at the bottom. Back to the show.
So tell me what's on the horizon in Texas, because you are the executive director of TEN, Trans Education Network of Texas. Yeah, I mean, I think the two things that we see, and we have already had a hearing right in the Senate State Affairs Committee, where we had like, I don't know the specific numbers, don't want to quote it, but but we know we had numerous people, uh, I would estimate between four to six, uh, in opposition to the like one person coming up who was in support. We even saw people who had come up in person in the middle of a pandemic, let's state, to voice their support that literally as they were testifying said, I'm not going to take a stance on this. We neutralized them because they heard from us. And at the end of the day, they heard from trans kids, they heard from parents of trans kids, they heard from trans people over and over and they learned something that like who we are. So it's like at this point, you know, just listen and learn from people about who they are. Like so much of the bullshit that we deal with right now could be solved if we just shut our fucking mouths and listen to the people that are impacted. Like this is not a fucking new, you know, kind of mindset, I would hope. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're going to look at the same thing, I think, where we're seeing uh, Empower Texans really like pushing around uh, wanting to see that medical ban uh, here in Texas, which again, like ridiculous, especially because you and I know like very well, even more so, right, than Arkansas, the like things that we would like our state legislature to be focused on and try to be fixing, try to be uh, working on, uh, because at the end of the day, like you got a group of people that have like gerrymandered the state to right. like a point where who represents you is like really not like somebody that's like even understands like the community you are right. from we and just, the community we just learned this with this um like you said we know it all too well we just learned it with this texas freeze we learned it with so many um political issues around our state and and you know what's kind of crazy what's even more crazier is that when i look at all of these states there's literally that who have these bands coming up. There's literally people who have rec recorded that they don't even know, never met a trans person. So it's really important how you said you have to listen, you have to know us, because we know statistically that people who meet trans people, who have significant relationships with trans people in their lives, they more, they, they lean towards supporting our cause because they actually have a, a human experience with another trans person. And so just seeing yeah. people who literally admit that they don't even even know trans people really be this fucking invested in uh you know in stopping us from getting health care that's fucking that's demonic while we talking about other shit that if, uh, celebrities being you know like acting like like little nas x and is doing something new celebrities being salacious and doing crazy stuff you know, when we talk about demonic, this is really demonic <laughs> for real, for real. Like you get what I'm saying? Why yeah. would you, you know, why would you do this? So yeah. It's cruel. Like at the end of the day, like trying to um stop somebody from the medical like necessity of healthcare to support their lives, their well-being, their whole health. Like, and especially when you're talking about kids, like that is it's just, you know, complete bullshit. Um, I, th so you're going to have to edit this part out, but 
I want to talk to you about that little Nas video. Cause like he knows his scripture and people, like, you want to be mad about it. Like be mad that he knows so well, all of these like, you know, biblical passages that he was able to put this like video together and like, get out of here. But anyway, yeah, maybe, but <laughs> I'll resume but back what to people my, don't understand uh, is that we, we grow up in a time, particularly if you black, <laughs> but not uh, not exclusive to black people but it's something that is used against you so much that you have to know this weapon you because it's weaponized the bible is weaponized yeah. against you so much that in order for you to be able to rebut it you have to know it you got to you got to actually read and study so you can actually respond to these attacks on you that are biblically based biblically. as somebody who did a youth pastoral internship at southern baptist church i feel that <laughs> exactly <laughs> we have to we have to you know we have to know it and so i'm not surprised that this young man is you know abreast in that type of conversation and knows his shit because we Absolutely. a lot of people queer people yeah. i know know our shit when it comes to religion yeah. when it comes to how you're we don't have the luxury of not knowing. Right. <laughs> because we got to know yeah. how you're going to attack us. Yep. And we got to know how to respond. First off, preservation. Absolutely. The other issue that we'll see is, uh, is around sports and just essentially looking to ban trans girls from participating in sports. And this also goes the same bullshit that we've always seen. And like, it's a bigger conversation, if we're being honest, in my opinion, because when did like we've had trans inclusive sport policies in place in this country since 2008 diamond 2008 it is 2021 and guess guess who sparked the outrage about trans girls participating in sports two little black girls from connecticut huh. Huh. always happened. always yeah. <laughs> that like let's talk about you know they, they happen to be good because they trained because uh, well, wait, they they were good, but they also wasn't even good enough to win the cisgender. The cisgender girls beat them. <laughs> they were good, yeah, but they the cisgender girls scholarship. So they didn't dominate. <laughs> no, and those two cisgender like girls that sued them both went on to receive D one scholarships, and neither of the little black trans girls are even interested in running anymore because adults being fucked up. To kids has ruined that outlet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're good, but like, again, we go back to that. Come on now. And they were good because, like, they trained. Yeah. Because, like, you know, there's a documentary for people that haven't seen it uh, called Changing the Game. And, like, it was uh, about like four different kids across the nation, right? Um, who are trans kids and participating in sports, one being Mac Beggs here in Texas, but Terry and Andrea were uh, two of the athletes also featured. And like, shoot, Andrea's mom, she's hitting the gym. Like, it's clear. Like, she's in there with her girl. Like, I mean, they are an athletic family, clearly. It's just like, let's talk about it. You know, I posted a picture of the other week we're in the Capitol, right? And Beto O'Rourke was in there and <clears throat> during the SB 29 hearing, right? And Andrea, you know, being Andrea, got, he was like, 
uh, hey, come meet the people you're talking about. Like, come, like, you know, get to know people. And, Andrea uh, being Emmett's wife. <laughs> <laughs> Not my <Thank> wife. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, fiance. <laughs> But yeah, uh, it, and dude's like six foot four, I think. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, we're about the same age. So like in this kind of like scenario, right? The like narrative is that like, I'm gonna school him on one-on-one, -on -one, like one-on-one -on -one because like, I'm a super athlete because I'm trans and on T. <laughs> <laughs> it is the like nonsensical, you know, when you look at it, I'm literally looking up and giving him side eye. And like, it's just so ridiculous. And that's really at the end of the day, like, this is the thing is like, athletes are going to be as good as the effort they put into it, right? Like, I was, I stopped growing, you know how tall I am, right, Diamond? Because <laughs> so, when I stand by you, it's the same thing, but I'm not giving you a side eye because I know better. But, uh, <laughs> but I did three a days, right? I got up at like 4 or 5 a.m. to go run 10 miles a day because I stopped growing at eighth grade. And I knew if I wanted to keep on playing sports, I was going to have to put in triple the work because I wanted to keep playing them and I didn't want to get benched and look like a sucker. <laughs> you know? And baby, I didn't think about, I wasn't thinking about sports at all. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. thinking about sports at all. So that's why it always, it always gags me. Cause I'm always like most of the trans women, I know we're not a monolith. Uh, I know that there's some that are sporty girls, but most of the trans women I knew did not get into sports at all. So it, it was it was a surprise to me when I heard, oh, y'all really want to play? Y'all really want to do this stuff? But yeah, you know, I can imagine, you know, that there are some sporty trans women. Some, um, yeah. you know, I could just see it. I could just see it happening. So it was interesting that this was sports is a, is a trans battlefront. <laughs> Seriously, like I did sports, you know, as a kid, to blend in like and if you're thinking you're talking about you know trans kids right they've come out as trans and like again like you're you, like kids especially at that age it's just trying to not stick out let's be honest like nobody wants to be the one that sticks out because the one that sticks out is the one getting clowned like <laughs> it doesn't matter <laughs> so it's just ridiculous like all around i think like every angle you look at these arguments from medical bans to like participation in sports it's the same message that like we're trying to tell trans kids and trans people that we're not a part of what this world is we're not a part of like being allowed to live our lives it fairly equally as much as a person who's right next to us who is cisgender and at the end of the day like that's a bullshitty thing because like there's an there's so many things right that tell us especially as BIPOC trans people right that we're not a part of the like world that like we're not like meant to be a part of these things uh and it, at the end of the day like that's the same message it's the same tactic it's the same like bullshit and you know for adults we're like we have conversations, right? Where adults are even like, well, I don't know, like trans adults. And I'm like, listen, 
if we had the information that we had when we were kids, we had the language. Like the first time I saw somebody that looked like me and a story that connected with me was when I was 18 and I watched Boys Don't Cry. And let me tell you, I was like, oh, oh, I don't know about this now. Like <laughs> this is, a, you know, hmm. Like it was this like feeling of like being seen and having language to a certain extent of like, holy shit, like this story is like mine. But then like the horror of like, oh, right, yeah, okay. And so like, you know, it's the same fucking thing at the end of the day. Like we are evolving too in our generation, right? And what we don't realize is that by being who we are, we've finally broken through to kids who are experiencing it, who we were, right? Because it's not that there's so many more um, trans kids than like look around at the adults. Right. It's just that kids are understanding because they're seeing you. They're seeing, they saw Monica Roberts, they see India Moore, they're seeing, you know, uh, all of these like people that have their own stories, their own journeys, but like, really only recently BIPOC trans kids have like finally started to see people that they relate with more instead of this like very like endosex like you know white like upper middle class like kid with like parents who are like we used to be conservative and then we realized yeah. like you know and it's almost like yes but also like we're we're not doing our due diligence, right? Where we realize that like, that's not every family. That's no. not every trans kid. Like I remember uh, that it was in, in, in our community, in the black community, it was, it, it was directly conveyed to me when I was younger transitioning at, you know, 12, 13, that uh, black people don't do that. Like literally coming out of their mouth saying, you, that's some white people stuff because the, because the narrative of white transness was so <laughs> so prevalent that mm -hmm. it was deemed this weird trans stuff that's white people stuff we don't do that black people don't yeah. do that and so it was like yeah. directly said it was it's just something that um, I remember I seen a video recently on TikTok. Somebody, some young person, I can't remember. I'm sorry. But they literally conveyed it and said it where like, like I didn't even know black people could be trans until I was 17. And this is somebody who is in their early 20s now. And so, <laughs> yeah. and so I know that yep. it exists and it still is being um, kind of said today. But now, you know, because of what we the strides that we have made in invisibility, not the visibility is everything, but invisibility, yep. you know, coming off the high of trans day of visibility. Now, this week, I know it's not everything, but the strides that we have made have really adjusted the narrative around, you know, BIPOC folks being, you know, the face of transness. Absolutely. And I think like one of the things that we did a disservice, right, with like going on a white centric sort of transness model is realizing that like visibility is also a danger to BIPOC people. And in a way that it isn't, and in depth that it isn't 
to white transness. And so like, essentially, like, unfortunately, by lack of inclusion, we've kind of created our own issues of like, what this looks like, and why we're dealing with like, um, the the perpetuation of how we see um, erasure, really, right. and, and dominance of a white centric like mon monolith and story uh, to dominate what X looks like. So me and you didn't just discover racism, and we're gonna. I'm a um, you know, I'm a bring you in. Uh, tokenize you for a minute because we are um, in this in this uptick of um, you know anti Asian violence. I know that the media, what they're sharing, what's going viral, is um, mm -hmm. you know incidents of violence between um, Black people, but actually, it's a myth to for people to think th that um the majority of anti-asian violence is happening at the hands of black people that is not i know you know that's what we're seeing go viral and, uh, and that's what they're showing us but statistically 90 percent of them come from white people and it's about five percent from black people so let yep. that sink in i want you to understand that i want you to understand that statistic they are trying to sell a narrative which they have always done <laughs> that there is, and, and this is not uh, holding people who are doing these atrocious attacks, um, particularly black people who are doing these atrocious, it's not to not hold them accountable, but I really want to make it very, very clear about um, the hands of the media and sharing the narrative like it's black people attacking Asian people. That is not the truth. There is majority white people attacking Asian people. In this case, yeah. because they are the ones who are spewing the, this is the Chinese virus. This is the Kung flu. This is there. That's the side <laughs> that the conservative white side is a side that is perpetuating that perpetuating that kind of narrative to demonize Asian people. So, yeah. you know, race is not new to us. Race is not me and you. We've talked about this multiple times. You know, this is something that comes up in our friendship. This is something that comes up in our lives, our personal lives. This is some, some, something that we actually relate to. And so um, I want you to talk about, um, you know, what has been your experience in these past, this past year of this uptick? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that, um, is a real, you know, this is the same old thing, the dog whistle, right? Let's always, let's, let's circulate, you know, black folks perpetuating. Again, it's like, it's the same mindset of like, oh, this isn't white people per perpetuating this. This is uh, BIPOC on BIPOC, you know, um, black people on it, like versus Asian, Asian versus black folks. Like, and looking, you know, when we take a step back, who created that narrative, right? How did the government intercede to like cover what they're doing to to essentially redline districts to um you know from internment camps to to literally the uh theft of of black property and like then like pushing the communities in together and and looking at all of that right i think it's like is would be remiss to not name and i'm sure we'll go into you know much deeper 
into the conversation, but this last year, you know, has been an interesting thing, right? So to me is looking in contrast, right, of the reality that we're facing too. So yes, like, and I'm not saying this to downplay at any means, like I am horrified. I am scared, especially for elder, uh, a, like Asian folks, uh, women, um, again, like when we look at like the, the targeted populations of like time and time again, this is not, this is just the same unfortunate um, story. Uh, but yeah, because women are realize, disproportionately affected by this violence. Yeah, I think also realizing like what's the other violence that's going on in our like culture, in our community, in our nation. What did it take? Like, and and for me, you know, you and I have joked like not in a more ironic way, right? The Great White Awakening on racism during George Floyd. We're like, what did it take, right? Where like you have literal, like generational, like oppression. You have literally, like you have documented. Yes. And now you have everybody kind of like quarantined in their homes. We're all just like peeled to like screens because like that's our interaction. And what does it take to say, oh, huh there may be a point to this, right? And then what it, you know, with, with, and again, I say not to downplay because these are two of the same like poisons, right? But like a year, right? And now you have, and I know like, I'm gonna say, I'll probably get heat from Asian people on this because they feel like we're not talking about it enough. But to me, the contrast is, is how long we went of not talking about the violence that was perpetuated by the state and the people towards black folks. And now like this uptick, yes, like, you know, absolutely. Like I dealt with some like white woman yanking her little boy away from me at Trader Joe's and saying like, we like get away from him. Those people are dirty. And I was like, First off, ma'am, I would like to say between your little grubby kid and myself, if we do a germ test, I will be much, much better off than him. So maybe <laughs> I don't want your dirty ass little kid with his hands up all up on the cheese that I'm trying to look at. But second of all, you know, this perpetuation of the same like bullshit of like looking at how we, we, uh, fall into a model minority, like stereotype where like, um, how that has benefited us. Right. And <laughs> also how it's hurt us. And now looking at like how, because of that, like the violence, the like bigotry, the discrimination that we're facing, you know, is being talked about, but looking and like more of a step back of like this isn't just about us and i think like at the end of it right when we talk about like how to find a way forward is to like going back to the thing of like we need to address our own anti-blackness our own colorism within the api community we need to address how we benefit currently and how we have historically benefited from white supremacy 
how we've perpetuated colorism, even like internally and externally, how like the relationship, right, of what this looks like looks fraught because the sooner you see non-Black POC communities realizing none of us are white. We're never going to be white. To white people, we're never going to be white. And the quicker and we not all... just And not just we're never going to be white, but we're also never going to be... Um... Technically, yes, but image-wise, you're always going to be a foreigner. Like, mm -hmm. there is a... There is a perpetual othering that happens with Asian people that no matter yeah. what, I, I'm I, I'm an Asian person and I've been here for six generations and you're still asking me where I'm from. <laughs> yep. People tell me how great I speak. I mean, I'm, you know, technically I'm an immigrant. Like I was adopted uh by white parents and like i i think also like in that sense like that has also played into the amount of like privilege and access and power that i've been able to tap into as like perceived cis east asian man and like that does matter when we say east asian to southeast asian because the color is god awful in our community like the from you know i i learned because i had to learn from like my friends <laughs> my buddy dan cam in college took me home uh to his grandma and was like i need you to learn about who you are because you're too white <laughs> you drive me crazy <laughs> and i was like i mean listen i grew up in an all white uh community i was raised by white parents like i i'm never gonna like deny that has shaped me because it was part of my socialization it was part of like um what what essentially i had to access um and, and he was just like no like you need to understand that that's part of your story and he was really kind of the first connector that like told me like but how the world sees you, how this country sees you, it's important that you know who you are because you can be adopted by white people, but this is still who you are too, right? And so I think like when we look at that, of understanding that, and then like me looking at like, holy shit. So like Korean, uh, Japanese people look down on Koreans and like Koreans look down on like Vietnamese people and like this whole like and it's anti-black let's not like let's name it what it is because the darker the skin from like the country the more looked down upon the more hierarchy you know in terms of the hierarchy and that I mean, if that is not plain and simple black and white anti-blackness I do not know you know and it's important, I think, for us to name that because uh, the sooner that we can recognize that, the sooner we know how to like navigate ourselves and show up for like people within our larger community because we all are connected, we're all impacted. And how, you know, looking for me at API, like community, like how do we do our part? 
because we've been silent and not only silent, we've perpetuated violence. Like when we talk about the LA riots, people want to talk about LAPD. Absolutely. But what really precipitated that was the murder of a nine-year-old black girl by a Korean woman who profiled her, took her life and did not like really see any form of what justice would be and then you had a you know korean pawn shop owners literally distributing arms as like the riots were going on with instructions to shoot black folks let's not mince words yeah and i am um, korean who you're bringing up is the latasha um harlins um in mm -hmm. la when the protests were happening um for rodney king just to give a little yep. history, if y'all didn't know this, when the protest was happening and the police officers were acquitted for beating him, even though it was on camera and it was all brutal and crazy, when they were acquitted during the riots, it was almost, this narrative was like that um, Korean American businesses appeared to be targeted for looting and destruction. But the it was it was the connection to you know, that Korean store owner actually shooting Harlan and, you know, killing her <laughs> because she was stealing orange juice. And yeah. then, and but then also that's one incident, but then we also have like um, Vincent Chin in Detroit who was killed. There's, I, I wanted to talk about the history of that as well. Just the history of, you know, nuances because vincent chin was in detroit he got beat by police and he was killed in 82 1982 and so this is a minority person who's being killed by police yes we know black people are um, predominantly affected by this but if you're trying to look for your connection to the to to the police brutality this is one this is a perfect example this is not the only example but this is one of the most high profile examples um, I also, when we talk about, uh, you brought up the minority myth. Yeah. So one of the, one of the problems with the, it's a trap, <laughs> it's a trap being a minority, um, and, and having to set up and trying to, um, live up to this minority model. It creates like a, a, a inequality between, um asian americans and everyone else it sets up this stereotype that all asians are a monolith that they are um that because they are this model minority that their struggles and the problems that they have particularly racial struggles struggles don't exist they are, it almost invisibilize them because oh you're this model minority so you're not going through some of the things that um that the other you know lazy bums <laughs> lazy bum minorities are going through because you know you're being the great minority you're doing minority the right way <laughs> and so yeah. then it also drives a wedge between um us par par primarily black folks but not just them because it invalidates claim that um you know that our 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 racial issues that we are trying to bring to the fore that we are saying are, are whack and not true and not real illegitimate because look, look at these uh, lovely minorities over here being successful, yeah. 
But then we have incidents like in San Francisco where uh, it was systematically homes and, and places and neighborhoods were gentrified and systematically taken from Black people and then systematically incentivized to give to Asian people. <laughs> and this has happened in other places around the corner, around the country. So yeah. um, then we have, you know, our, it, it, it reinforces the structure that we all are trying to fight against. The model minority myth reinforces the structure that we all are affected by, that we are trying to battle with, that we have to assimilate to whiteness. That we have to assimilate yeah. to whiteness in order to be accepted and reach our goals. And so, look, look at them. They are learning our language. They are coming into our high a PDWIs, our higher institution, and um, and just being these. They're just they're just doing it the American way. They're forgetting about their culture. That you know you can't come over here with that quunk 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 with that with that stuff. You gotta speak English. You gotta you know. And this is how we do it. No. Like that's, we don't need to assimilate. We are our own people and we can be Americans here in our way, <laughs> however it is. And so we all are battling against that. So I wanted you to talk about um, that. I wanted you to talk, I'll talk a little bit more about that minority myth and how it, you know, has affected your life. Tokenism, like I said, I was jokingly saying that, you know, I'm gonna tokenize you a little bit, but you know, that's what it is. It's like, um, how does that work in your life? I mean, I think one thing is like the model minority myth is alive for the AAPI community too. And that's important to know because like go into Sharpstown, look at the people that are service labor kitchen, like doing like the, so like this idea and, and I'm not taking away, right. That like also going to a hospital, you see a hella like Asian doctors, like, Yes. But like looking at it, like it's not the full story. And I think that is like important to know, right? That like when Asians, like we adopt this as our own, we're also like, we're not just hurting black folks by like saying like, oh, the experiences that they're reporting, you know, eh, eh, we're good because like, look at us, we, we're doing all the things, right? We're using like our, our most like, um, you know, successful sort of like um, models to say, look, but at the same time, it does not paint out the accurate picture where like Asians have been overlooked in like the immigration conversation. And like the Chinese Exclusion Act was the first like really like shitty, like just discriminatory immigration bill. When we talk about internment camps, right? Like literal like Japanese people forced out of their homes, their literal life savings, their belongings taken from them, seized by the government, put into an internment camp. You know, talking about Chinese like railroad uh, rail uh, road workers, right? Who are enslaved, which I think like is something that like we, you know, people are not slavery, enslavement, that's two different things for one, but also looking at, you know, the historical context there too, of like knowing that like one of our country's largest like lynchings 
on American soil were Chinese folks. And so like the fact that like you have an Asian population, right? That's like also accepted the revisionist history has also bought in to not the full picture of like what part have we played and also what parts, right? Have we um, been impacted by this white supremacist system? Mm-hmm. And, and and how you know, and and not just benefiting from the white supremacist system, but also benefiting from the the work of um the the black liberation movement, like some of, some of the things some of the things that um people are benefiting from right now to this day is based on mm-hmm. the work that we did back in the day. Yeah, and also let's talk about economics, right? How like Asians benefited in an economic like way from the black liberation movement specifically, but then we're making money literally off of the black community while vilifying and like profiling like who the community was, even though we were in the community, right? We were, there. there's no reason when you're exchanging with somebody like on like a daily basis or frequently, right? That like, you shouldn't know who you're around. You shouldn't want to like give back into like the area that like you're essentially uh, getting your livelihood, knowing who these people are. But instead, you know, we saw time and time again, and and I think it goes to speak right of like how we need to recognize that like this was all intentional, like, and I don't think people really like. Uh, you know, are willing to go there yet is what I see. Like, and I'm, I'm so tired of like, and it's been a, such a great disappointment, right? I, I, when you posted that meme, I will say like, uh, I was like, I read it and I was like, oh, that hurts. But then I was like, and it's true. And that's why it fucking hurts. And like, you know, I, I don't spend a ton of time like commenting too much on social media, but like I wanted, you know, by commenting to like, yeah, I see you diamond. And like, this is fucking valid. And like, not that you need me to affirm that, but to say, I see the struggle and like, I'm going to do what I can do. And I'm going to like push and have conversations with other Asian people because like, that's what I need to do. But you're right. Like, where is the Asian community? Like, and and I've been like, slowly hopeful, right? As like, we've seen some of this, like, uh, sort of awakening that racism is still alive, uh, where conversations are finally starting to happen. But like, I'm also like, damn, like, come on, we're in 2021. Like, we should have been having these conversations. Like, uh, it, and it's, it's so disappointing to me, right. Where, um, we failed, I think, to recognize this, this joint struggle that you named, right. That like, we're never going to be the model, like centric, whatever. We're never going to be, um, ex- we're always going to be othered. And like, I love, you know, I'm to a point where I love that about me. You know, I think like, who I am in like my own journey, it's like helped me navigate my world with like hopefully more awareness, right? And also like 
the understanding that like I want to hear other people's stories and perspectives because like people look at me and they make huge assumptions right like where you'll see like they've only like talked to me on email and they see me and they can't help it and they are like oh I, I didn't know you'd be Asian and like they spoke to me on the phone like they're like one phrase away from saying but you speak so well right this is before zoom and like looking back of like what did that look like it was I was fluent in Korean when I came here and my parents were like fuck and put me in intensive like I mean thousands of dollars of speech therapy so I would no longer have an accent and and also so I would erase my memory of my native like tongue and you know understanding all of that right and like even you know I go back to a conversation I had at the beginning of my career in nonprofit I was talking to, I'm not gonna say who it is, but like a very prolific, like black trans woman who's like an elder. And she stopped me three times in a 15 minute conversation to say, so wait, you're trans? And I was like, yeah, I am. And like reason the conversation, but like to her, it was like, you know, holy shit, like, where you been? <laughs> and like, you know, Monica would talk to me because we would talk about representation, right? What that means, what visibility means, things like that. And like, she would joke with me and she'd be like, Emmett, like you're an Asian trans man in Texas. Like I do better on the visibility and representation than you do. So like step it up, you know, because at the beginning of this, like I was like very timid because I don't want to be, you know, where I see white folks, where I see non-black POCs, like literally like filling up the space and drowning out the voices of black trans folks. I like when we talk about like racial justice and shit like that. And I'm like, no. <laughs> so like, it, it, thanks to her mentorship, I think it gave me a good idea too from a trans perspective, right? Of like how, like she was expecting, because I, I think that's the best way. She was expecting me to show up as who I am fully and told me like, I'm gonna let you know if you step out of line. And I was like, oh, I know. <laughs> um, but also understanding like her, her, her wisdom in recognizing that like deep connection and bond that we already had that was forged before we ever met by who we are in this yeah. world. Let me ask you this, because this is something um, I think a lot of people who who are dealing with certain levels of privilege and certain levels of, of extreme levels of oppression and certain levels of privilege kind of has to have to balance. And I want to know how honest, just have an honest conversation about how you balance it. So how are you balancing privilege? 
how are you as a trans person you this is something that really ostracizes you and 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 doesn't give us that many opportunities when it comes to making money when it comes to business when it comes to you know just opportunities in general just because we are trans that cannot open up a lot of doors for us or people cannot think about us but when they are thinking about us they're gonna privilege you know like me they're gonna pre- if they if they're thinking about a trans woman i'm a, a black trans woman i'm a light-skinned black trans woman so they're gonna be like oh that's that one's gonna be much better because colorism is a thing in people's minds so let's do this one this high yellow one and then you know in your case okay well we gotta we we gotta have a trans person so we don't want no black one so let's see if we can oh and this one hits tons of marker asian black and a man so we can privilege the man side and we can privilege the asian side the model minority oh yeah we 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 hit a gold mine and so Mm -hmm. you know we we can kind of um we we both stand at different positions of privilege within our community and so mm-hmm. how are you navigating the opportunities one because we're in this place where we have to survive and do this work but also we have to make sure we're making room for people who are silenced how are you um silence and not privileged as privileged as us even though you know we're not nowhere near privileges Karen or <laughs> or Chad, we're nowhere near, nowhere near privileges those people. How are you balancing? Um, what are your tactics in balancing that? Um, you know, relinquishing of power and still surviving in a world that marginalizes you to the brink of shit living. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, you know, in terms of this, right? When we talk about all those like nasty statistics that like our community faces like homelessness and i had a kid a minor child uh we're homeless for uh around six months like it not in a shelter homeless and uh talking about you know that that trajectory too because you know what does it look like for familial rejection and so like where is that you know you have privilege you have power you have access and then you have nothing right um but also what i did have and carried with me right my ability to bounce back and now be talking to you and like still being who i am fully right uh of looking at that i think it's important to know right even in those dire situations like it's not to say that you know (laughs) doesn't happen because people don't understand that is to say that my ability to come back from that you know extreme situation in the time I did and like be able to move forward and not stay just in a cycle of crisis is because of my privilege right it was because of um my ability and uh you know education previous to navigate through what is purposefully a system that people is not easily engaged for people in crisis who need it. Um, And then coming in, you know, as the first like POC, like ED for 10 and like going, you know, you and I have had so many talks about this, Um, going from the 
struggles of an organization that like was founded by very like above and beyond you know privileged power access white trans women like you're talking about the first like out invisible transgender judge to sit on a bench you're talking yeah, about corporate CEO. yeah a former da's like all of these things of like how did that shape the organization that recruited me and said hey and like i will say like it was like before you know our our 2020 revelation that racism existed but also it was all of the things that we named right this model minority myth that like here i was because one of the things too with trans men that we are asian men that we've dealt with is the narrative that the u.s military machine painted out to justify raping our wives our sisters children uh that like asian men are submissive that we're effeminate that we're not masculine right in the terms of like what american like masculinity is and then like understanding my my uh opportunity was to infiltrate an organization and come in and and harness the power that like we did we do have right and and had because of this elevated sort of powerhouse uh collective but that had a blind spot because it's the great white blind spot right and so looking at that of my three things uh that have been guiding um points for me were infiltrate rebuild and seed and still in the rebuilding part and also like have like transitioned in like seeding right where like i was so lucky to have you know rocky come and like step up as like our board chair and you know that is the most powerful position in our organization uh of like the seat of power and like we built like we just overhauled internally right where we said like this isn't gonna work because like these trainings this education this information the way we do policy like it doesn't include all of us and if it doesn't include all of us it's not worth a damn because all of us need this and like we're not an organization that needs to be serving some of us we're an organization that needs to be showing up as we say which is for all of us in the trans community and understanding the way oppression impacts us within the community and then lastly you know uh, rocky recently stepped down and now uh we're so happy right because like we have a you know majority bipoc board we have uh just an amazing like uh board chairs uh she is in an interest she's mixed right she's half black and half asian um but like she navigates the world as like that is a black woman you know as a black trans woman and like it, it is been such a i don't know it's, it's been a joyful journey for me 
because I've gotten to see, you know, where we went from like uh, a board that was all white. No, no. One Latin person. And of when course. I said like, racial, we're in Texas, yeah. of course, you gotta have one of yeah. them. <laughs> <And when laughs> I said, like, we're gonna scrap all of this uh and we're gonna redo everything all of our curriculum all of our programming with an emphasis uh of racial justice and an intersectional approach you know it was like well bye <laughs> uh, so so understanding that like from the very beginning and like as we were building the board of like everybody had to do implicit bias training. Everybody had to do um, this like homework essentially where it gave us all individually like a space to learn and to be honest, right? About where we were with our bias. Because I think too many times you see an organization want to tokenize, right? Want to be like, hey, we want to do the right the right thing, right? But if you don't have that internal infrastructure and knowledge and gut check, right, of how people are showing up and where they're at, then like it does nothing to bring BIPOC people in because it's the same system. It's the same atmosphere. It's the same bullshit. You just have different faces. You have a more like diverse face but it does nothing when it comes to the effectiveness of people right. being able to lend their perspective of leadership and really actually see that applied. And I think like for me, right. And, and for a lot of like, just in general, right. The non-black POC folks, like I want to see us step up more in recognizing that and understanding that seating power isn't losing power. It's giving power like not even giving it's putting power back where it is supposed to be it is rebalancing right what this is because it was already stacked in a fucked up way it's not a loss for me and like i think that's the thing right is that scarcity model the like zero-sum approach where like even within like non-black people of color, you see that and you see that anti-blackness and you see the racism and like how like in our <laughs> head, right? We're, we're almost using being a person of color to shield us from accountability of anti-blackness in the trans community. Does that, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> I was like, cause when I've said that before, I've gotten like a whole like room full of like, <laughs> I just it's for me I, and you, you one of the important things about shifting that power is not just shifting the people below you is actually having a plan where your actual position is taken by somebody of that space you get what I'm saying so for me yep. as executive yep. director as I of the Black Trans Women's Inc. My plan is to get the programs that, that I am passionate about started and going and 
da 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 da. But eventually, somebody else will take my place, and more than likely, be whoever the best black trans woman is. Somebody who is dark skinned. Somebody who is, you know, <clears throat> I was in. I was put in my position by, you know, a, a dark skinned trans woman stepped down and I was put in my position by all the people around me because of my ethic and my work and, mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, by dark skinned trans women who didn't want the position, yeah. who wanted me to be in that position. So, yeah. but my, my plan, my plan in order to be able to, you know, once I, once I do my job and once I'm in that position have set up the position is to hey somebody else needs to take this this take this reign yeah. so that they can change it into another thing i think that's what it is is i want to i want to i want to make it grow and make um and you, you do my part but not just because a lot of people kind of just sit in positions and don't mm -hmm. let it the 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 ore grow and so yeah. you know i think it's I think important to have those points where you meet where you literally become the the what's holding the organization's growth back and you know i feel you so deeply on what you said uh and i just you know you know how much i just i, I love the shit out of you <laughs> just respect you so much but like uh you know it, it's reconfirmed too and that you know you and i have had discussions for me where i'm on that too of like i came into this because I came in with no salary. I came in investing my own money into this organization because I knew that we needed a strong, powerful, trans-led policy org in the state because of what we face, right? And I knew also that it's not fair to put that on the shoulders of a black trans woman. It's not fair to put this on the shoulders of somebody who, um, it, it really like didn't create the mess, right? But like gets it to fix it. And so for me, looking at like, I, you know, building like where we are building staff slowly, where we're building uh, a salary that isn't, you know, one that you and Trey giggle and mock me for. Uh, and, <laughs> and we, when I, you know, leave that, like my my hope too, right, is like, looking at like who comes after me because i we need the same um you know forward motion but like there'll be a point you know coming up where i've taken us as as far as i can and it's time for me um to step aside and not get in the way of of the power and growth because this organization is not mine because this power is not mine right it's it's the power of our community uh and, and you know in the way that we're doing the work that is the hope of what we're creating right is uh understanding that and then also understanding that people doing this work fucking deserve paid it is hard shitty uh life consuming work like and i think people have not realized because you know the first year that i came on and i you know did my tent apology tour which literally was a year of listening to people being yelled at being cry like people crying with me people like expressing like how they felt the organization had let them down or harmed them and like for me coming in not really being a part of but also knowing that like 
this is what I'm stepping into, right? Of like, as taking this role, like I do have a responsibility to be here to listen and to um, take accountability and continue to say, we're gonna remain accountable for, but there's nothing like a mind fuck, I will say, of having a white trans person scream in my face for, I don't know how, and this, and cis people, right, too, like yelling at me about racism or transphobia. <laughs> and I'm like, like, yeah, like, where, I don't know, it's just such a weird sort of position, right? And then, like, people not realizing that, like, I didn't come in, like, making money, period. Like, we had uh, 16 grand in the bank between you and I when I took over tent. So, like, that was not a salary. That was not, you know, shit. That wasn't even a stipend. That was me taking the money I had. Uh, and also, like, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't shout out my family. My, like, Andrea, who, like, you know, got her poli-sci degree at UH and, like, worked her ass off to, like, graduate college in three years and then came in with, like, previous experience field organizing and with policy and, like, literally, like, gave that labor to this organization to build and like what the sacrifice like you know looks like and i'm not saying praise us praise us right because that's not even like it's just to state just plain and simple people think certain things and the reality of those like what you think versus what it is it comes off like real fucked up in our community because like now people are looking at me like oh like you don't deserve like to you know, live a decent life because, you know, this is what you do and whatever. And I'm just like, you, part of, I think the confidence that I have, right. Of like knowing what we all go through in this like sort of atmosphere is especially also knowing that BIPOC trans people, BIPOC people, especially we get side eye for like living a decent life of like, oh you know and then at the same time you hear the same people saying like you know bipoc trans people should be able to like get you know rest be like compensated da 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 but our own community sometimes is like shitting on us and not like seeing all the different things that like we're experiencing on top of our leadership like what yeah. brings us here today to talk about this fucked up relationship that historically in America, we see like between like the black community and the Asian community. And yeah. all of this plays into our leadership, our labor, how we're showing up and who we are. It's just, it's such a large scope kind of like issue um, all around when we see yeah. how all of these like, attitudes have festered. I definitely battle that too, battling the that I deserve because of what I've been through and the work that I put in, but also how do I not perpetuate that same um, exploitative power that I am trying to dismantle? It's that balance. Yep. 
And I can't say that I have gotten to a position where I'm so powerful and make so much money that I <laughs> that I'm exploiting anybody. I'm not there at all. Only when that happens, because <laughs> you know your boy's hungry a lot. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I haven't got to that position, but I have to be conscious of it and conscious of the things that privileges me in a way that. Um, <clears throat> that it's not about what I deserve because, you know, privilege is something we don't earn. And so I know what I do and I know what I earn and I know um, what you mean. the community. I am in community. I am calling shit out. And so that for me, that's how I balance it is I bring people with me. I bring people through the doors that I go through, you know, even on my particular show, um, if you look at the complexion of most of my guests, um, they are dark skinned people. And I like to balance that out because, you know, we, most of the, our hosts, you know, not by design, but our hosts are light complected people. So I'm, I'm really intentional when I'm looking for, um, you know, guests that I, now sometimes, you know, you, I could have got a South Asian, but I don't know no South Asians. <laughs> I know you, so you coming. <laughs> no. So, you know, it's, it's so many things that, that I try to balance it out. Do, am I going to always hit the mark? No, but you know, I know that I'm intentionally um, conscious about it and, and I'm intentionally making impacts to, um, you know, be better with balancing power and bucking up these uh, bucking up against these structures so yeah. you're doing a beautiful job on it i'm gonna say because i mean i i've actually never heard someone right outside of these internal conversations that i've had within asian queer and trans folks about how we are hyper vigilant, right? About sh literally the shade and color of our skin um, of like, and, and knowing, you know, clearly, you know, from just friends of like, who are, who are black and talk about it. But like, I think just you naming it and like, so just explicitly of like how, that factors into how you navigate is it's such a like for me like such a bittersweet thing looking in as like an outsider right because of recognizing like here you are putting more labor into thinking about this than people external who are wearing like support black trans women t-shirts and posting like you know I love black trans women every single day on all their social media Check and black trans like, women, but you don't want to pay those people that are stacking chairs at your event. No money. Yeah. You want them to come volunteer. You don't want to pay them more money. You don't want to give them anything. <laughs> you don't want to pay them for the research that they help you do the numbers that they help you give for your, your grants. You don't want to actually give them any fucking money. You don't want to actually give them any power because you want yeah. them to be perpetual clients, perpetual volunteers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you always I have the same privileged people to be on your panels, all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Yeah. I, I think like when, you know, 
in this discussion and and i'll say you know during this session this is my first session without monica like here and yeah. you know being in the car with me or uh being at the capital with me and like you know calling me up at 10 10 30 11 30 midnight it's like hey Emmett, like, girl don't you sleep and you know of having she didn't have to do any of that shit for me and i look at that you know and like the what she gave me as a gift of like she could and should have been charging me period right for the, the experience she brought to the table the um perspective the wisdom of just her knowing and her network of like understanding what we're up against and her just deep knowledge of the system right uh and looking at that right of i don't ever want us like in this work i don't ever want to feel like my hands are tied right where i'm like you know yes i when we finally got to a point i was you know compensating her on contract of like yeah like girl i wish i could give you more but like i don't ever want to see that happen again you know we're 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 expecting that and we're um just not recognizing and i think like for me when you're talking about this like is looking at all of the ways right of the expectation of labor and what is thought to be you know worth compensating and and not and and then seeing after she passed like this roar of like all these organizations that i know had money and only would compensate her travel and only would like and like to me like i think like part of like this like sort of reminder and pain as i go into the session and you know um sorry continue is is my own like i even though her physical presence isn't here like her spirit like i'll be damned if we let that die in you know texas sledge from our community because right. looking at the embodiment right of all these things that we've been talking about even in this last like hour and a half uh and looking at that it's just such a navigating reminder right that people don't have to look far here in texas to know you know what what we need to do to show up to, right. to inspect ourselves uh internally uh take stock take inventory of how we're showing up and to remain accountable you know i tell you i tell trey <laughs> you know all my friends of like hey if i fuck up please tell me uh because i want to know and I want to make sure to not do the thing that I did, right? Yeah. And like looking at it of like, it's love that I say that. And I know it's love when you're like, you know, hey, Emmett, you kind of missed the mark on that one, you know? <laughs> and, and and knowing that, and it's just, you know, people, 
I am so tired and exhausted of people scratching their heads and asking, how do we show up for trans people? How do we show up for black trans women? How do we show up for blah, blah, blah? Like you already know. It's been books and books and books and books and books. It's been it's been it's YouTube videos. It's um, yeah. Instagram slideshows, <laughs> um, carousels. It's so many TikTok. things. Uh, talks, TED talks, uh, podcasts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so mm -hmm. many. So get out here and do the work for yourself, Emmett. I want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, you know, this has been a great conversation and definitely come back. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I am uh, so grateful uh, to have this, you know, conversation with you and, you know, so grateful to y'all for, for Marshall's play and like um, me being able to like, I mean, for me, it's been such a, upon discovering it, uh, just an opportunity, right, to like take myself out of myself and to be open and and learn and like also just fucking laugh and like you know y'all cutting up and uh, you know all this shit of like uh, talking about and balancing you know what this is uh, and the beauty of who we are as people and the struggle. Of who we are as a people uh and you know i just you're the go always uh once this uh stupid pandemic gets over you know we'll be in so <laughs> tell them where they can find you uh you can find me on twitter sometimes i poke my head out and say rude things uh as at asian underscore emmet uh you can find tent uh at uh trans texas on twitter and instagram um the same and on facebook i think we're just i think we're trans texas on there too or transgender education network of texas um but yeah and website is transtexas.org you know we we really switch it up here at tent <laughs> <laughs> and i'm gonna put all those links down in the bottom make sure you go check it out and see the work that they're doing this is a group that is always going back and forth from houston to um, Austin standing up for trans rights when it comes to legislation. This is people who are actually out here doing the work so that we can keep our rights so they can protect us from rights being taken away, all this kind of stuff. So I really appreciate the work that they do. So check them out and thank you for listening. Bye y'all. Well, that's it. Thank you for coming and getting a taste of Marsha's Plate. You can listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Make sure you leave a review because we really need those five stars, y'all. And go like our Facebook page and leave some comments. We will be posting exclusive content every Thursday, so you definitely don't want to miss out. You can also follow us on Twitter and any other social media site at Marsha's Plate. If you'd like to donate or advertise with us, hit us up at diamondstyles at gmail.com. That's diamondstylz at gmail.com. And that's it for us, y'all. Bye. Bye-bye. You going to say bye, Mia? Oh, bye, y'all. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Every little thing's going to be all right.